Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to you, your servants, to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're walking through the book of Acts together and looking at different things. Now, um, as we come to the book of Acts, the first thing that we have to uh, see and, and, and remember is that in the book of Acts, we're having history told to us. This is the beginning, uh, the history of the church and how it spreads out after Christ's resurrection, after he ascends into heaven, and this is the church going forth. And so, so as those who are gathered together in the name of Jesus, this is our history. And so it's good for us to remember that. Sometimes people, though, for the book of Acts will put things on top of it. And they will say, well, this is a guide for how you do church today. And there are some things in here that are principles for us to grab a hold of and ideas and things that are truth, that are resting in who Jesus is. That, but, but we don't do church exactly as they did church in that day. Now, part of the reason why that is is because Not many of us, if any of us, are Jewish. And so we would be bringing our history of that into this place. And it would be recognized. So we don't have that as we come to here. That's important for us to know. If you read what you were asked to read before we got to this passage this last week. Because after Peter announces Christ and the people in, in Acts chapter 2, we see call out and say, what must we do? And they're baptized and we see people being added to the church daily. We have this great little sort of what was taking place. And we can sometimes read that what's taking place, the end of chapter two, and say, if we just do those things exactly the way they did them, then God will add to our number daily. No, (laughs) that's not the case. Now, these things, yes, are important for us to do in the way that they are done in the fertile soil of Fremantle Church that we've been planted in. Not being confused to compromise to the culture around us, but knowing that we are influenced and knowing that we are actually flesh, human, brought up in this place. Because globally, if you were to attend a church on Sunday morning somewhere else, it would look different. Down the street, it would look different. 
the way that they put things together. But if they are committed to the things that we see here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, which we're not actually preaching on today, by the way, that will be at the end of our book of Acts. We'll come back and grab this. So you can anticipate that. But I just want to make sure, and it's a good reminder for me as well, that I'm not going to go into this book and go, now, we've got our five principles and this is what we do. Because it can very much seem easier to walk through Scripture in that way. (laughs) But what we're seeing happening is a telling of, uh, of the history of the church, the way Holy Spirit is building it together and moving out so that we're here today as part of that. So if these things that we're talking about today did not happen, we wouldn't be here in this way. So the first thing we should always do as we step into a passage of Acts is go praise be to God. That he worked in amazing, mighty, magnificent ways so that me, so that I, so that you could hear the saving message of Christ and respond to it knowing that it is through his steadfast love that he's pursued us to bring us into relationship with him. And so people are gathering together and they're doing things. And people are being added to their number daily. And if you read chapter 3 and chapter 4 leading up to what we're going to be looking at today, you'll know what took place. So the first thing that happens there in chapter 3, so if you want to open up your your iPhones or your Androids and, and pull out the Bible app or grab the Bible in front of you, that way you can take a look and see kind of where we're at. Peter and John are walking along and and there's a lame man, someone who's been lame for life. Over 40 years, we find out. And he's been sitting there at the temple gates, the gate beautiful. Now that's important to know because that's where most people wanted to go in because it was the best gate. Like if you went in that gate, then people were like, oh, they went in the gate beautiful. (laughs) And so he, he knew that that's where most people would be going in. So it's a good place to make money if you're a beggar, (laughs) right? And that's what he was doing. He was asking for alms. Now, that's not outside of the norm, okay? In in Jewish culture, it was to keep the law, it was to praise God, and it was to give alms. That's what they were called to do. And so if somebody was walking in the gate, beautiful, and somebody's asked you to give alms, and you've just been in the temple worshiping, it would seem awfully neglectful of you for your duty to not give some alms. So he's smart. He had friends that were smart who took him there. And he sees Peter and John walking in. And he says to them, "Uh, can I have some alms? And Peter and John do something that probably no one else had done for him. They say to him, look at us. I want to think about that just for a second. There's a place here that as people were walking in and out, they were hearing the give alms, they would probably give alms. Now, the person giving the alms was probably thinking, I really don't want to look down there at that lame person. I just want to do my duty and get on on with my day. I'm here to worship God after all. Or I've just worshiped God. And most likely, the person giving alms, knowing that they've never been asking for them, the lame man, knowing that he's never been allowed to be in the temple, Why? Because he's broken. 
doesn't want to look up at the people as well. There's a shame that's being happening here. A, a, a place of going, I don't want to be this way, but I am, and so I have to survive by getting alms. Getting a little money. But Peter and John say, look at us. Recognizing the dignity of the man, recognizing the creation of God that he is, and they say, look at us. Now at that point, he's probably thinking to himself, I might be getting a really big gift. And he did. But they say, it's not silver and gold. We don't have any of that. But what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he does. Now, as I was growing up, we had a great song that went along with that. And he was jumping and leaping and praising God. And they walk with him into the temple. Now that wreaks havoc. That's not something that's supposed to happen. And so people rush in to see what's going on. And they're staring and they crowd around the porch and they're looking and going, what's happening? What, that, that lame guy, he's walking. What's taking place? And Peter and John tell them what happened. We'll come back to that. They, John gives a, uh, Peter gives a little sermon. Similar to the sermon that he had just given. So if I ever repeat myself, know that that's okay. And then they go in and worship. But those who are in charge of the temple, the officials of the temple, and the Sadducees, having heard this and seeing what's going on, they don't want to have that happen. And so we see in chapter 4 that they're brought before the council. And by being brought before the council, council, they're told, stop talking about Jesus. It's not stop doing good. It's stop talking about Jesus because they want to know how they did what they did. And it was very clear how they did what they did. And what they wanted to continue to do was proclaim Jesus. So much so that when they say to them, what shall we do to them and say, stop talking? We see in verse 19 of chapter 4, Peter and John answer them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Basically what they're saying is, it is not up to you whether or not we do what we're doing. We will obey God not you. Which obviously causes more consternation for the council. <laughs> and there is more threat to punish them. But they know they can't keep them or kill them. And that's how we get to this passage that we're looking at today. So let me just give you a, a, a little reminder. It's great for you to read ahead in this series that we're doing. And today I'll tell you what I'd like you to read ahead for next week as well. So that way you can have that in your mind. So here then Peter and John, they're released from the council and they go right where? To their friends, to the gathering that is there. And they let them know everything that's gone on. 
But instead of preaching and proclaiming to them, instead of saying to them, this is what we have to do now, they pray. They pray. They seek God for something. Here's their prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in his, this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I think often when we hear the story of the early church, as we're looking at our history, and we see this movement that is taking place and this boldness that is happening, there are times where we think to ourselves, that can't possibly happen that way today. Now we see it maybe happening in other cultures, in other places, but for us here in Fremantle, Australia, we've got it pretty cushy. And so it might seem outside of the norm for us to pray for boldness. It might seem a little bit of a stretch or even condescending to those who actually are walking through places of persecution that are throughout the world. But what I want to say to you today is this prayer, while it's not the prayer that we should just recite over and over again, gives us a great example of what it means to be those who have been positioned in Christ in order to proclaim God's power. They recognize very clearly that everything that's taking place, everything that had happened since the time Peter stood up and, and proclaimed at the very beginning and all of those people came, that they started gathering together, that it is God working to will his way his purpose, and his plan, regardless of what it might look like on the outside. And over and over through this chapter of chapter 3 and chapter 4, Peter proclaims that you think you did this, but God was doing it. When they first look at them and say, how did you heal these people? He says, why are you looking at us? We healed him not by our own power, but by the power of God. Jesus' name. When the council calls them forth, they say, how did you do this? And they say, he says, we did this by the power of Jesus Christ, the risen one whom you put to death. And here in this prayer, they say what? That all these people gathered together, Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Jews, and the Gentiles, to put Jesus to death. They were against Jesus. But listen, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
You see, it's good for us to know that when we are called to speak boldly for what God has done, that we recognize God's sovereignty in all of this. That's a big churchy word, right? Yeah. That we see God working his will and his good pleasure in the events of our lives, in the events of the early church's life, to bring about his glory and honor so that he can save. The purpose is not so he can show himself to be God, because he shows himself to be God completely when he saves. We see that they're wanting to go out and proclaim the wonders and majesty of Jesus because Jesus is the one who brings healing, both complete healing physically as to the lame man, but spiritually getting rid of the separation that is between God and man and man and man. And so in this prayer, they say, look, we know that the world is against us. But we ask you to give us boldness. Because while the world might look like it's against us, you have set your anointed one out and he rules over all of it anyway. Why do we know that? Psalm chapter 2. That's the psalm that they quote. Psalm chapter 2. It says this. Why do the nations rage? By the way, the word is nations, not Gentiles. And I'm not quite sure why ESV decides to use Gentiles there. I mean, it can be used both ways, nations or Gentiles. But it's the nations. Why does the nations rage? And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. It says God sits in heaven and laughs and the Lord holds them in derision and then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them with fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And I tell you the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. This is what he says to Jesus. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them to pieces. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice in trembling. Kiss the sun, that's worship the sun. Lest he be angry and you perish in that way. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Wait a minute. I thought you just said that saving was supposed to be happening. (laughs) Yeah. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. The king is set out. The Lord is lifted on high. He has proven himself by conquering death and being risen again. All boldness then springs from that place, knowing that we are brought into union with him so that we can take refuge in him and be saved. You see, the council believed they had power. So much so that they told the two men, stop doing it. But the men knew, John and Peter knew where power resided. True authority. Ultimate authority. That it resided in God. Because he's the one who holds all things together. And in that place then, they are able to cry out and pray this psalm saying, give us boldness. 
Don't let us shirk. Don't let us step back. Now, some of you, like me, believe it or not, can be bashful. We can hold back. We can be fearful in our life and in our proclamation. I want you to hear this very clearly. Don't feel shame in that. Because Christ was bold for you. The one who ultimately is the power, the one who ultimately is all authority, set that aside. So as to become powerless for us to receive the power to step in. You see, the one who was high and lifted up became man and lived among us in flesh and blood. So in order that we can step in by Holy Spirit to say, yes, I believe. I don't just believe, I follow. And I don't just follow, I want you to come along. Not because I want to spare you from wrath, even though I do. (laughs) Because I know the place of refuge. But because I know where real life reigns. You see, those in the council believed that by doing the things that they were doing, by following the rules the way that they followed the rules, by getting as much power and authority as they possibly can, it would make them important in the kingdom of God and they would be seen as good. But in fact, it is by resting completely on Christ that we are made good. And so here today in this place, in this prayer, we see a call for us to walk in boldness. But very clearly, it is not a boldness that comes from ourselves. It is a boldness that comes from Christ alone. And so when you feel discouraged, when you feel like, I can't say that thing I might need to say, when you feel like, I might not be able to walk through this path that I am walking in. I mean, they're scared, guys. This is not something that they were like, hey, guys, this was exciting. Guess what? We're being persecuted. No. These are the same guys that were locking doors after the resurrection of Jesus. Pray. Seek God. And he will give you the courage that you need in the time and place that you need it. And we'll see that unfold itself in amazing ways in the book of Acts. Let me pray. God, let us rest in you. Let us know that you provide provision and power. And so we can hold on to that. If there's anything that's not from you, let it burn up and go away. But if anything comes from you today, let it take root in our hearts so that we can bring glory to you and do the good works that you have given us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing.